now let us pray one more time, asking God's blessing on the Word of God as it flows from the pulpit into our hearts. Father, thank you for this privilege to open your Word to your people. We pray that your Word might take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord Jesus attracted thousands and thousands of people to himself, in part because of his eye-popping miracles and his profound teachings. But Jesus was not enamored with the crowds. His identity and self-importance was not wrapped up in the size of the crowds. My dear friend and mentor, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, recently told me that he has this awesome message on humility. Well, the only problem was that he hadn't found a crowd large enough to preach it to. <laughs> well, that's a joke, and it ought to be taken as a joke, if you understand what humility is all about and what he's saying about this sermon on humility uh, that he hasn't found a crowd large enough to preach it to. Well, Jesus never had that problem. He was never concerned about the size of the crowd, though he had big ones and little ones and medium-sized crowds. His primary concern were the, for the truth of the message that he preached and the souls of the people to whom he spoke. It was Jesus who told us that the truth will set us free. Free from the bondage of lies, free from the chains of sinful habits that destroy our horizontal relationships with one another and our vertical relationships with God. That's what truth does. It breaks the chains of lies that harm our relationships horizontally and vertically. Jesus' identity as a leader on earth was firmly grounded in his relationship with God, the Godhead, not in the numbers that are often used to measure success. And so I want us to continue this week learning the many lessons of followership. Followership that is taught us by our Lord Jesus and those who tried to follow him. So please open your Bibles, if you have them, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. If you don't yet have a Bible downloaded on your phone, I would highly recommend the version Bible app on your, play, your, your Google Play Store or your Apple uh, Store where you get apps for your phone. Uh, just type in Y-O-U version Bible, version Bible, and it is perhaps, in my opinion, the best electronic form of the Bible that you can have on your phone. So I will highly recommend that to you if you prefer reading now in an electronic uh, version versus ink and paper. Last week we studied Jesus' parable regarding the sower and the seed. I want to review those lessons before we move on to the second half of this chapter. First of all, notice in verse 2 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew how large the crowd were, the crowds were, that follow Jesus. He had large crowds that followed him. Verse 10, notice that the disciples now came to Jesus with questions 
when they didn't understand his teaching. Now, rather than discussing it among themselves in quiet whispers, as they had done in an earlier in his ministry, it appears that his disciples have now matured. And now they confidently ask these clarifying questions that they had concerning the confusing and difficult teachings that Jesus gave. And Jesus is quick to answer their questions and to teach them further based on the questions that they had. They had honest questions. They weren't trying to trap him or trick him with their questions like some of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and Sadducees did. The lesson for good followers is this. Never be afraid to ask good, honest questions so that you can continue to grow in your faith. If you are a growth group leader, if you are a growth group facilitator here at Uptown Baptist Church, whether your group meets in your home or it meets in the classroom here on our church, in our church building, you should always have the mindset as a growth group leader to entertain questions. Now, in this format that we have here, in the preaching and teaching format in the congregation, we don't give opportunities for folks to ask questions from the pew uh, because it's just not set up for that. But we still would love for you to ask your questions by virtue of email or a phone call or a personal visit in the office. And so if you're sitting here week to week and you hear things that confuse you, that trouble you, that even makes you mad or upset, my encouragement to you is to write that subject matter down, write that question down and ask your question at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. Via email, via phone call or via a personal visit in the office. Of course, if you want to take your pastor to lunch or dinner or breakfast, I'm like Mikey in the Life cereal commercial. He eats everything. You remember that? Those of you old enough to remember the 1970s and 80s Life cereal commercial. All right, so ask your questions to your growth group leaders, your pastors, your elders, your deacons, questions that will help to nourish your souls and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Don't be afraid that your question might be off-putting. Don't be afraid of the response you might get to your question. Get your question answered. In verses 15 to 23, Jesus reveals the meaning of the parable. The meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The four different soils are the four different kinds of hearts found in those who follow Jesus. There are four very different reactions or results of the word that was sown in the hearts of mankind. And only one produced the intended result of the sower and the seed, which is salvation. And notice this, Jesus does not here fault the sower or the seed. His focus is on the heart of the follower. Last week, we had a very personal and pointed question to ask ourselves. Which kind of heart do we have? Which kind of heart do you bring into the church each week as you sit in the pew and listen and participate in the worship service? What kind of heart are you cultivating? Is it a hard heart? Is it a rocky heart? 
Is it a thorny heart or is it a fertile heart? The fact is, you may have had one of each of these kinds of hearts during your spiritual journey. The good news is that you don't have to be stuck with a hard heart. You don't have to be stuck with a rocky or a thorny heart. The Word of God, together with the Spirit of God, is able to give you a fertile heart if you desire to have a fertile heart. How many of you know some people, when they get mad, they don't really want a solution. They like being mad. They want to be mad. So there's no use in trying to talk to them or no use in trying to help solve their problem. They just want to be mad because they want to be mad. <laughs> okay? There's some people like that. They're not interested in solving the thing that ails them. They just want the right to be mad and to vent and to complain and to grumble. And some people like that you just can't help. They have cultivated and nurtured a hard heart. And that's unfortunate. Pray for people like that. So the Word of God, together with the Spirit of God, is able to give any one of us the fertile heart that we need to cultivate if we have such a desire for such a heart. So all you have to do is ask God to give you one and then commit yourself to walk in obedience to whatever truth you learn from week to week. Remember the Bible says of itself that God's word is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. In the old world, in the ancient world, people didn't have, you know, powerful flashlights or street lights uh, to illuminate their paths in the darkness outside. But they may have had a, lamp, a lantern. And the reason the Bible says that the word of God is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet is that you can only see far enough for your next step. You couldn't see 20, 30, 40 feet down the road. You could only see right in front of you. And people would walk like this with the lamp in front of them, making sure that their next step is a secure one and they wouldn't fall or twist their ankle or slip. God's word is like that. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path that only allows you to see right in front of you. Which means if you're not being obedient to the truth that you know, you will not be able to see to take the next step. Obey the truth that you know so that you can understand the path to take. And you can then re receive more truth to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And so some people say, well, I don't know what God's will is for me in this. Okay, that's because you haven't obeyed the will of God that is plain to you. And so God is not going to reveal more truth until you learn to take and receive and act on the truth that you already have. So whenever you hear the word of God preached or taught, you ought to be asking yourself the following question. I've got seven questions for you that we're going to try to put up on the screen so that you can jot these questions down and use them in your personal study, your personal devotional life, your personal study here in your growth groups or here in the worship service. Here's the first one. Is there a sin to avoid or confess? Question number one, is there a sin to avoid or confess? Question number two, is there a command to obey? 
is there a command to obey? As you are hearing the Word of God preached, as you are studying and reading the Word of God for yourself, these are questions that you can be asking yourself so that you can act on God's Word. Is there a command to obey? Is there a, an example to follow? Number three, is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid or confess? Is there an, a command to obey? Number two, number three, is there an example to follow? Number four, is there a promise to claim? God's promises are precious to us, and there are many promises in Scripture that are for you and for me in this day and in this age. Is there a, there a promise to claim in the passage you're studying or reading? Number five, what does this passage teach me about God? It's a great question to ask, and you, you should write down this, the answer to that question. What, what does this passage teach me about God? Number six, what does this passage teach me about humanity? What does it teach me about my own self? What does it teach me about the people around me, the people that I'm dealing with every day, whether it's a parent or a sibling or uh, a child or a coworker or a boss or a neighbor or an enemy? What does this passage teach me about humanity? Number seven, what does this passage teach me about sin and Satan? What does this passage teach me about sin and Satan? So if you were to ask yourself these series of questions on a regular basis in your personal devotions, in your public hearing of the Word of God and teaching, in your growth groups, you will grow in your spiritual walk. Asking and answering these questions will take the spoken and written Word of God and make them come alive to you in ways that will personally transform you to become more like Jesus. This is what genuine followers of Christ do. They allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate a fertile heart to receive the Word of God and that, then it takes root and it bears much righteous fruit in their lives. See, too many times, too many people, they get tripped up because of the way somebody says something. Or an illustration that somebody used that's delivering the word of God. And they, they allow the presenter of God's word to cause them to stumble rather than focusing on the word that is being preached to them. Don't let that happen to you. Because guess what? It happened to Jesus and he was perfect. And if it happened to Jesus and he was perfect, you better believe it's going to happen to your pastor who is imperfect. I can't be perfect like Jesus and you will get tripped up by something you hear me say because it doesn't come out maybe the way it should come out or I use an illustration that causes you to be upset or whatever. Don't let that get in the way of what God wants to teach you. Don't let it get in the way of, of, of cultivating a fertile soil of your heart for God's word to penetrate, take root and bear fruit in your lives. Because then if you do that, it will become an excuse for you and you'll begin pointing fingers at the one that's trying to teach you rather than being a humble follower trying to learn what God has for you to learn. And so this is what genuine followers of Christ do. They allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate a fertile heart to receive the word of God that then takes root, bears much righteous fruit in their lives. So the question is, is that true of you?
Do you have a fertile heart? Let's move on. Verse 24, verses 24 to 35, Jesus told the crowds another parable about two different sowers and two different seeds. Verses 24 to 35. Since our focus is on followership, we will not take time to examine the teaching of the parable, but the reaction to it, and then the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables here. Notice what the scripture says in verse 34. Jesus said, nothing to this crowd without using parables. Is that interesting to you? In other words, why would Jesus speak in parables so often to the crowds? I want you to be reminded that a parable is an earthly story that reveals heavenly truth for your soul. That's the definition of a parable. An earthly story that reveals heavenly truth for your soul. Parables can sometimes be hard to understand. So why would Jesus use so many parables when talking to the crowds? I think this is one way that he tested their sincerity. This is one of the ways he tested to see whether or not they had a fertile heart to receive the truth. We see that in his analogies of the kingdom in verses 44 to 48. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a well-hidden treasure in a field. Or it's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Or it's like a fisherman's net cast into the lake to catch fish. Now what in the world do these three illustrations have in common? Two things. First, precious treasure. Secondly, precious treasure hunters. All of these illustrations about the kingdom, namely the merchant looking for fine pearls, the fisherman casting his net, uh, or the treasure well hidden in the field, they all have in common a precious treasure and a precious treasure hunter. I'm sure you realize that the ultimate treasure of God's kingdom is God himself, right? And the only way to find God and to have a personal relationship with him is through faith in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and those who are true followers of Christ are like spiritual treasure hunters who, who will not be easily deterred from finding their treasure. And that's the purpose of Jesus using parables and also likening the kingdom of God to these precious treasures and these precious treasure hunters. That's why Jesus often spoke in parables. That's why Jesus often spoke hard truth. That's why Jesus often set the bar high for followership, so, so high as to require our willingness to die for him. Did you hear that? Jesus said, if you are going to be my true follower, you need to take up your, what? Cross and follow me. Which means you need to be willing to suffer and die for me. Because the true follower will do whatever it takes to find the treasure of the kingdom. They won't let anything get in the way to keep them from following Jesus. The true follower of Christ understands the cost of following Christ, and they are willing to pay that high and ultimate price. 
The true follower of Christ is committed to Christ's local church because the local church are members of his holy body. Sometimes I meet people and they say, well, I haven't been to church in a while. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I gave up on the church long ago. Really? They have some church hurt, maybe some pastor, elder, deacon, or church member grieved them in some way, and so they left the church. Well, listen, the church and Jesus are together. You can't leave the church and still keep Jesus. No such thing, there's no such teaching in the scripture. Now, you can have church without Jesus, because there's some churches... Jesus is not a part of that church, okay? But you can't have Jesus and not have his church. They're together. They're inextricably linked. The true church of Christ, and there are many true churches of Christ, Jesus will always be a part. And you can't leave a true church of Christ and still say you have Jesus. You're going to love the bride of Christ if you're not willing to die for Christ's church, how are you going to be willing to die for Christ? The true follower of Christ is committed to Christ's local church because the local church are members of his holy body. The true follower of Christ is committed to give of themselves their time, their talent, and their treasure for the expansion of his church and his kingdom. And so in their heart of hearts, the true follower of Christ knows that Christ is worth it. He, he's worthy of every expenditure of time, talent, and treasure because he himself did not spare his own life to save theirs, ours. And so let's move on now to the last part of this chapter, Matthew 13, 51 to 58. Jesus says to his followers, mainly his inner circle, his 12, he says, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Like any good teacher, Jesus asked his students if they got the lesson. He was trying to make sure that they're following along, that they got it, and that he wasn't leaving them in the dark. And they all answered in the affirmative. Then watch this. Again, like any good teacher, Jesus also gave them a commission to share the treasures that they had found sitting in his classroom. Now understand, you know, Jesus' classroom was not just in the various synagogues in which he preached and taught, but his classroom was outdoors most of the time. I mean, his disciples left their homes and their families and their jobs to literally follow Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus had an itinerant ministry, which means he walked dozens and dozens of miles around Israel from town to town and while he walked with them he talked with them and he taught them and discipled them and answered their questions and and uh, and when he got to certain places in different towns he performed miracles and and taught some more and answered their questions and so Jesus says now watch this verse 52 Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. What a compliment. What a compliment to his followers who get it. 
Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? He says, the Bible says that those who teach it, those who teach the Bible, we have a higher standard of accountability. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So how many of you are growth group leaders, are Bible study teachers in our church? If you're a growth group leader, Bible study teacher, let me see your hand. You lead a growth group, you teach a Bible. Okay, several of you. Listen, we have a higher standard, okay? Jesus says to us Bible teachers that we are like homeowners with a house full of treasures. That's who we are. We're like homeowners with a house full of treasures. And the treasures are not just for us. We are not to be hoarders or keepers of the treasure, but bearers and sharers of the treasure. Some of you love jewelry. How many of you like jewelry? Some don't. It's okay. It's all right. You like jewelry? Good. When you get a new piece of jewelry, do you put it in the jewelry box for safekeeping and leave it there? Or do you take it to the bank and say, hey, put this in, in the bank. I don't want to see it for another 50 years. No, you got a nice piece of jewelry. You put it on and you you on the town. You, you strutting your stuff. Right? Ladies, when your man drops that engagement ring on your finger, he puts a ring on it. You go into the school the next day, you go into the cl- to your office, and you're like, so hi, how is everybody doing? How y'all doing? Y'all okay? I'm doing good. You good? Right? When you buy a house, a new house, or you buy a new car, do you invite family and friends over for tour your house or to ride in your new car? Why? Because you want to show off your new treasures. Right? In the same way, we like to show off our earthly treasures. Jesus said, true followers who understand my holy word are to share it with others in word and in deed. That means we are to bear the treasure, which means let the word of God emanate from our very being, our very lives. And and share the treasure in allowing other people to hear God's word from us and to share the principles of God's word that will transform their lives as it has transformed your life. Many of you have, have known about our students that we host from all over the world in our home. Some of you have begun to host those students yourselves as you found out about this ministry from us. And so um, you are now receiving the blessing and understanding this benefit. But just the other night I was talking to some of our students as we often do around the table at dinner. And uh, I was asking the students, what is your favorite thing? And we asked all the students the same question, um, you know, over time. And I said to this, this current group, I said, what's your favorite thing that you like about Chicago? And I'm not just saying this to try to puff up my family. I'm saying this to make this point. Invariably, most of the students will say, the favorite thing I like about Chicago is staying in your home. And it, it's, I, I still find it hard to get used to that. Because I would think they would say the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower, Navy Pier, the lakefront, the museums. But they often say, the best thing about being in Chicago is being around your family and being in your home because we've never seen a family like yours. We've never seen a husband and wife love each other. We've never seen parents and children interact the way we see in your home. 
And there's a something about being in your home. Now, th- see, this is sharing the treasures that we have. Brothers and sisters, you have treasures beyond what you realize in your own home. If you would open up your home and share your treasures with the world. The world is desperately looking for the treasures that you have in your home. That's why hospitality is a virtue taught in the scriptures. Because when people sit around the Christian home and around a Christian table and break bread with Christians, something supernatural happens. And so we can share the treasures we have. That's one example of how we share the treasures that God has put in our lives. We bear the treasures and we share those treasures with others. And many times God will reveal himself when we offer hospitality to the stranger in our homes. And so, listen, this is a principle of scripture that is being taught. We need to practice what we preach. As we share the word of God with our lips, make sure that we're living it out with our lives. See, you can fake it outside your house, to people on the job, to people in the school, to people here in church. You can fake Christianity, but there's no faking inside your house. See, you're going to be real in your own house. All the masks come off in your house. So that's why hospitality is such a virtue, because people see you in your natural habitat, in your natural self. Your real self comes out in your house. Maybe that's why so many of you don't practice hospitality. You don't want nobody in your stuff. You don't want them in your business. So you keep them outside your house. Well, what if your business was so holy and righteous and pure, you were not ashamed of it? See, you hide stuff that you're ashamed of, but you share stuff that you're proud of. Christian, open your home. When you open your home, you open your heart and people see what's really, what you're really about. Okay? And so Jesus is here just blowing the covers off of what it means to be followers of him. What it means to be a true Christian is not just about coming and sitting and hearing a sermon and singing a bunch of songs every week. It's way more than that. Verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom? And these these miraculous powers, they asked. Now, these are his own home, these are his homeboys. This is in his own hood, okay? Jesus, the Bible says he came back to his hood, and his homies, they're like, don't we know you? Where are you getting this wisdom? They hadn't seen him for a while because, again, he had been out doing his ministry in other towns, other cities. Now he comes back to his hood. And they're like, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? We know him. They just live around the corner. Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? We know those homeboys. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? Now... I told you a moment ago we ought to ask questions. Good, honest questions. Guess what? These were not good, honest questions. And how do we know that? Because verse 57 says, and they took what? Offense. 
See, anytime you're hearing the word of God being preached and you take offense, there may be something going on in your own heart. It may not be the preacher. Now, it could be the preacher. It could be the Bible teacher, the growth group facilitator. But before you judge them, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. The Bible says that they, after asking all these questions, which were really not, they were questions of skepticism and cynicism. They had a, a, the voice of a cynic in those questions because they took offense. Now notice what Jesus says to them. You've heard it, and we've all quoted it. Still today, many people quote this verse from Jesus. Only in his own hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Lord help us. The expert is always 100 miles, comes from 100 miles away, right? We always like the thing that, and extol the thing that comes from, I mean, we like Gucci. Why? Because it's made in Italy. We drive Honda. Why? Because it comes from Japan. We always have, we have a premium on the things that come far away. Parents, you've been trying to get your kids to do certain things. All of a sudden they come home and say, well, the coach taught me how to do this. Well, I've been trying to teach you for the last two years. And oh, so the coach going to get credit? Now they're listening to the coach or the piano teacher or the teacher at school or somebody else. And you've been trying to teach them the same lesson. Why? The prophet is without honor in their own hometown and in their own house. Listen, don't, don't get caught up in this, this way of thinking. It happens to the best of us, but we have to learn as followers of Christ not to get caught up in this idea that because it's local, because I'm hearing it in my own church, it's suspect. <laughs> okay? When we were in seminary, we actually learned to play into this. I'm ashamed to tell you, but some, some professors have taught us, their future pastors, they say, if you have to preach on something that's difficult, like GLBT, you know, homosexual issues or, or uh, finances, Stuff that is hard for people to hear. He says, here's what they teach in seminaries, some seminaries. They say, bring in an expert to preach on that, that Sunday. So that you don't have to take the criticism. And people are more likely to believe somebody else when they come in to preach on those hard subjects than to believe you. And track with you and follow you. That happens. I don't like to do that. Now, trouble is, I've had to take a lot of that criticism because I've preached a lot of hard messages. I don't, I don't delegate that to somebody else to do for me. I don't give them the dirty, the dirty work to do for me, <laughs> okay? Because I just don't believe in it. If you're going to hear the hard truths, you need to hear it from me because guess what? I'm preaching from the book. You really have a problem with God and Jesus, not with me. You're because nothing that I say that's hard, I make up. 
Everything that I tell you that is hard for you to hear and understand and apply comes right from the book. So I'm not ashamed or scared. Well, sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I'm up here shaking because I just anticipate I'm going to get it tomorrow morning or sometime before I get home that day. I'm going to get it. But I have to, I, I, have to I, I fear God more than I fear any one of you. I really do. That's, that's my stance. And any preacher that is willing to be soft and not cover the hard stuff with you is not worthy of you. Is not worthy to be your shepherd. And I don't like rent-a-shepherd to come in and we give them an honorarium to tell you something that I could have told you because you're already paying me. So you might as well get the good stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> right? From here. All right? Now, because they, these people were offended, I'm going to close with this. Look what happened. Some of the saddest verses in all the Bible. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Listen to me. The Christian life from beginning, middle to end is the life of faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And it's, it's, it pains me to say this, but there's some of you who lack faith in your leaders. The leaders that God has put in place to, to, as his under-shepherds here. And it could be because of your lack of faith, God has not done more miracles here. Now, it doesn't say that he didn't, he didn't do any miracles. I've seen some miracles here. You all have seen some miracles in this church if you've been here for any length of time. But I want you to know that I, I want to see God do greater miracles. And the only way that more miracles will come, as many as he has prepared for us. I believe there's a storehouse of miracles waiting to be poured out on this congregation. And some of you may be holding that door shut because of your lack of faith. You know who you are. I may not know who you are. But I plead with you to believe God and trust God to do whatever he wants to be done. Don't be the one that blocks the miracle because you don't believe. It wasn't necessarily the people that maybe needed the miracles whose faith were lacking. But Jesus is speaking collectively to the whole town, to his hometown. Isn't it interesting to use a sports analogy? The Bears are doing pretty good this season. And somewhere along the line, if it hasn't been already, because I don't really keep up too much, too closely with them. But if we get close to winning uh, the, the, uh, the playoffs and going into the Super Bowl, you're going to see people hold up the sign saying, believe. Believe. And it'll be contagious. When it came to the Cubs after 108 years of drought, whatever it was, people were holding up signs, believe. Believe. And they may not, they may not be
believers, as we speak about believers, may not be Christians, but why is that belief so important? They're wanting the whole city to collectively have faith that our local sports team, after 108 years, can win. And they're encouraging us to believe together, however we do that. And they're flying the W, right? You saw it on the, in the office windows and in the cars. Fly the W and believe. If we can do that for a game, for some trophies, because we ain't getting the check that the players are getting. We just get to celebrate with them. We might get close and stay, watch a game in person. We might get an autograph thing, but we ain't getting their check. But we're believing. What are you believing? What are you failing to believe? Is there anything too difficult for God? Could he use this little boy from Jamaica to lead you, guide you to where he wants us to claim the miracles of God? Do you believe? Faith is so powerful. And the lack of faith is equally powerful. I don't want us to miss what God has for us. Let's believe. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is God's time of receiving worship. What have you heard today that has blessed you, that has encouraged you, that has challenged you? What is it that is blocking your faith? Maybe it's time to just lay that down. Is there some unforgiveness? Is there some grudge, some bitterness in your heart? Would you lay it down? It's really a burden to you that will give you ulcers and may even take your life. But beyond that, it may be blocking the miracles of God that he wants to do in our church, in our, in our hometown, in our nation. Would you search your own hearts, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, say, God, I don't want to be the blockage of your miracles in Uptown. I don't want to be the person that shuts the door on your many 